If you have a Bible, would you turn to Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 13 through 17. We are in this series, uh, True or False. I was reminded, uh, I think just this morning or yesterday that all of them have been false so far. So we'll just continue maybe down that, that path. But uh, thanks for being here in person and those joining us online. And the message this morning is let your conscience be your guide. We're gonna start in Galatians 5, 13 through 17 in just a minute. And then I've got a couple other passages that you will see on your outline or on the screen. So the concept of conscience is commonly used in a moral sense. It's to perceive what is right and it's to perceive what is wrong. And then in determining what is right and wrong, we use it to control, to monitor, to evaluate and execute our actions and, and based on what we perceived. Or it's this inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or the wrongness of one's behavior. Paul said in Acts 24, 16, I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So we know that it's a real thing. Scripture talks about it. The issue is not whether we have a conscience, because we do, because we all do. It's what condition is it in and whether we're using it correctly. So I'm gonna use uh, the idea of a thermometer and a thermostat and the front door. So you can kind of use that, uh, that thinking. So the first idea is this, check your thermometer. When we think about our conscience, so it's in Galatians 5, 13 and 17 in just a second. What is the purpose of a thermometer? And how does it work? A thermometer is usually made up of this, this small glass tube and at the bottom of the tube is a bulb which, which holds its liquid such as alcohol or mercury. And when there is an increase in heat, the liquid inside of the bulb expands, pushing up the tube. A decrease in heat lets the liquid contract, moving down the tube and it tells us what the temperature is. A thermometer tells us what is. It establishes a baseline temperature. It can, it can only report the temperature. It cannot change the temperature. Is the meat cooked enough? Am I running a temperature? This past week, the thermometer in Las Vegas was reporting triple digit temps. It was so hot outside that people were sitting on an airplane on the runway in Las Vegas, passing out on the airplane. I don't know if you read that article. But in the same way that a physical thermometer is used to help know the condition, a spiritual thermometer can be used to help us to know whether we're moving more towards Christ or moving away from Christ. Whether we're aware of our sinful tendencies or have become numb to them. Scripture helps us in determining our spiritual temp. Titus 1.15 says this, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted, and do not believe nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. So a corrupt conscience approves the wrong things because it is malfunctioning. While our conscience is a good thing, as, as we'll talk about in just a moment, the flesh is so powerful at times that we will allow it to influence or even override our conscience. And in doing so, we diminish the power, it becomes weakened. It's less sensitive, less effective. The flesh over time can write over what was once a godly conscience that was given to us by God in our creation. So our conscience can become so corrupt over time by allowing the flesh to override what we know to be wrong by making it right. 
our conscience is a God-given right from wrong thermometer. That if we fail to pay attention to it, it can lead us to places in life where what used to be wrong is now right in our eyes. Can you think of anything in your life? Something that used to be wrong that is now right. A corrupted conscience can lead to a seared conscience. First Timothy 4.2 says this, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. I wasn't aware of what I'm about to show you, but it's really, it's really interesting to me and it goes hand in hand with that first Timothy verse. <clears throat> in the ancient world, <clears throat> doctors would use a hot iron to cauterize a wound. It hardly bears thinking about what this must have been like before anesthetic, but if you had a wound and the bleeding could not be stopped, your best hope was a hot iron pressed against your flesh. Once you recovered from the pain, you would discover that the bleeding had stopped, but you would also find and discover that you had lost all feeling in the area that had been seared. And so the hot iron killed off the nerves so that you no longer had any feeling where the iron had been applied. Paul says, that's how it is with our conscience. They have been seared as with a hot iron. Their conscience has lost all sensitivity. And when that happens, a person can lie, a person can cheat, deceive, without their conscience raising any objection. They feel no guilt because their conscience is seared. And the seared conscience calls evil good and good evil. Does that sound like the world that we live in today? Does that sound like the culture that, that we live in today? Our culture's conscience has been seared. Evil has become good and good has become evil. And the hot iron has killed all of its nerves so that it no longer can feel any guilt. I don't know, um, I've said this before, I don't uh, typically um, encourage or promote movies, but uh, we went to see the movie Sound of Freedom. Has anybody seen that? If you have not seen that movie, I think it's still in the theaters for, for another time. I would so highly encourage you to go see this movie. Friends, this is a movie, <clears throat> not to give it away, but this is a movie that was made five years ago that is just now in the theaters because there's been so many roadblocks in getting it into the theaters. It is, is blown the doors off of theaters, the number of people that are going to see this movie. I will tell you it's about trafficking. I will also tell you that if you're gonna go see the movie, you need to prepare yourself. You need to be prayed up because your eyes will be open. But what it reminded me of as we sat through this movie is exactly what I'm talking to you about right here. Like on the way home, Lori and I are like, how can there be so many layers of this evilness? So many people involved. Because their conscience has been seared. And they no longer know what is right and what is wrong. And they no longer feel guilt. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Verse 13 tells us that as believers, we are called to be free. We're called to live free from the bondage of sin. That's why Christ came, right? But in the same way, Paul writes to the Galatians, we too, if we are not on guard, can use the freedom that we have been given to indulge in the flesh. The same freedom. The same freedom that we have been given, we can either pursue Christ or live for the flesh. And that's what he's pointing out here. Paul was encouraging the believers to stand firm and to run the race that is set before them with Christ as the finish line. We all have a sin nature bent towards sin. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The word flesh in verse 13 means self-indulgence. Just because one is a believer, just because one has surrendered their life to Christ does not mean self-indulgence has been completely eliminated. The flesh nature is not something to play around with. It's more than just a weakness to be aware of. It is an insatiable self-oriented power in the human nature. It rebels directly against God and resists at all costs his spirit in us. So what happens when we use our freedom and the flesh leads to self-indulgence. Our conscience over time becomes corrupt, eventually seared, like a hot iron when used to stop the bleeding. Kills the nerves. Our consciousness is no longer dependable to lead and guide us morally. A seared conscience numbs us. We find ourselves basking in self-indulgence. How do we know when our conscience has been corrupted? How do we know when our conscience has been seared? When we use our Christian freedom to fulfill every desire our flesh longs for. Here's something interesting. I don't know that I've ever caught this in this passage before. The way we treat one another sheds light on how we are exercising our freedom. Look at the way that you're treating one another. It will be an indicator of the condition of your conscience. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another, it says. When someone uses their freedom to indulge in sin, their conscience becomes corrupted and eventually seared. You cannot have a seared conscience and love people with an agape love because agape love is self-giving, not self-indulging. When sin has corrupted and even seared our conscience, we are incapable of treating and loving people in a Christ-like manner. We will bite and leave teeth marks. 
because we're living to satisfy ourselves. In this passage, Paul gives us the answer. He says, live by the spirit. Allow the spirit of God to shape your conscience. So this is how the two play together. When you walk by the spirit, you are most interested in the things of God. When we live by the spirit and in the spirit, our ear is bent towards the things of God. Our eyes are captured by the things of God. Our hands are open to the work of God. Every believer has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot belong to Christ without the Spirit. We cannot be adopted as his children without the Spirit. The power we need to live our new life in Christ comes from the Spirit. The Spirit unites us. Verse 16, so I say walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and then listen. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're struggling in an area of your life, maybe something's already come to mind as I'm talking, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The phrase walk by the spirit literally means by the spirit keep walking. Moment by moment, stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. He will guide you, he will teach you, he will convict you, he will comfort you. Verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not able to do whatever you want. So though we have a new life in Christ, I'm talking to believers in the room, though you have a new life in Christ, we still have a mind and a body that are prone to rebel and indulge in sinful behavior. So the tension that we experience between the spirit and the flesh is not a matter of position. It's not a matter of whether we're a child of God. It's not a matter of who we are in Christ. That's already been settled. That's already been satisfied if you're a believer, right? Once you are in Christ, you are always in Christ. They oppose each other in desire. He's talking about the spirit and the flesh. This opposition has to do with desire. One desires to plead God and the other desires to please self. And so the two natures work against each other, hindering what the other one wants to do because the one nature wants to please God, the other nature wants to please self. And so they're working against each other. To understand our conscience and its purpose and to use it as God intended, we have to first take its moral tendency temperature. Are you, am I allowing our conscience to be corrupted and seared? The current condition of your conscience, that's why I use this temperature, to take a temperature will affect in a huge way your behavior, it will affect your decisions, and it will affect your direction. So a thermometer is a great indicator of what's happening. If you're living in the flesh, your conscience will ignore the warning signs. You will no longer have that pause. You will no longer have that check in your spirit. You will learn to trust it and be convinced that it is best and most trustworthy guide, which by the way, it would also give you this false sense of peace. So first, check your spiritual thermometer. How's your heart? How's your thinking? 
And as Galatians 5 teaches us, consider how you're treating one another because it will give you an indication. Secondly, set your thermostat. We're gonna be in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you wanna turn there, or you can watch up on the screen here in a second. When we use our conscience as a trustworthy moral guide, we will find ourselves in all kinds of trouble. Your conscience was never meant to be a GPS. It was meant to be a warning sign, an alarm. That is why it is so important to have, understand your conscience as a thermostat and not a thermometer. In our house, I installed a smart thermostat. Any of you have those? Meaning it stays where I set it. That's what makes it smart. But if your house is like mine, there is one person who thinks it's always freezing. Anybody else? One person always thinks it's freezing, the other person thinks it's, man, alive, it's hot in here. We have a person in our house that always thinks it's freezing. And she, and she might say something like this, I sold our vacuum cleaner and bought a Zamboni. <clears throat> and I might say, it's so hot in here, our dogs are cutting each other's hair. But like the thermostat in your house, your conscience will be set to a certain standard. Which by the way, I don't wanna give too much away here about thermostats, but I did learn this this past week and I have not done it yet, Lori. Apparently on a thermostat, some thermostats, you can set it to appear at a certain temperature when it's not that temperature. (laughs) Did you know that? I just learned, did you know that? I don't know what it's called, but it, I believe the person who told me. Do some research. I haven't had a chance to research, but you can, like it'll say, it'll look like it says 72, but it's 68 in the house, right? I don't know. I told him I wouldn't go too far with it because his, his wife would figure it out. Um, your conscience will either be shaped by your self-indulgence and the repetitive patterns, or it'll be shaped by the word of God. This is your thermostat. The first deems your conscience as useless, and the second allows your conscience to be used to its full potential as an alarm. Um, another, let me come at it just a little bit different way. An ethic is a standard of right and wrong, or good and evil. Your morality is a lived standard of right and wrong. So your morality, the way that you live, the choices that you make will always be shaped by your ethic. The standard in which you choose to live by. As a believer and follower of Christ, our ethic ought to be the word of God, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What do these couple verses teach us? Scripture, our ethical standard by which we say we live our life according to as a believer. Is God breathed? Meaning it is the divine authoritative source. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, useful for teaching. 
Scripture is useful for rebuking, meaning it confronts false teaching. It's useful for correcting, meaning it corrects sinful behavior and reorients us towards the truth. It's useful for training in righteousness, showing people how to please and glorify God. All for what? Verse 17. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture's purpose is to teach us truth, to discipline us, to direct us, and equip us to live in righteousness. And in doing so, our consciousness is being shaped within us to act as a warning bell, an alarm that goes off. When you are in the middle of making a decision of right and wrong, good or evil, when it's being shaped by the word of God, there will be this little bit of a check in your spirit. That's your conscience that's working. Your God-given conscience is being shaped by the spirit of God through the word of God. The word of God is most certainly to be studied, but it is never meant to be a resource just for knowledge so that we can look smart or that we can win a debate or we can win an argument. The word of God will transform us and equip us to live out his ways, his wills, and his purpose. Don't mistake the conscience for the Holy Spirit. A conscience assuming it is being shaped by the Spirit is simply a warning system that sounds inside of us when we and when our uh, uh, morality isn't aligning with our ethic, when we say my ethic is the word of God and the way that I'm living is contrary, it's that alarm within us. I would be most concerned if I no longer hear that alarm. Establish your ethic. What or who are you going to listen to? A good conscience is set by the word of God. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If the alarm system is to function, it has to be powered, but it also has to be set. And a good conscience is powered by the spirit and set by the word of God. Hiding God's word in our heart will train your conscience to sound the alarm and keep you from sin. It'll be that little bit of a pause, a little bit of check where we have to line it with scripture and say, is this okay or is it not okay? Listen to this amazing promise. Hebrews 9, 14. Listen to this. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Did you know that the scripture talks so much about your conscience? Christ cleansing our conscience from acts that lead to death. Your conscience, you may be sitting here right now and go, you know what? Um, Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I... I'm at a place in my life where I'm not hearing that pause or that check in the spirit or that alarm that's going off inside of me. Your conscience may have been corrupted, even seared, but listen to this. Christ can make it good again. That's what redemption is all about, friends. It is powered by the spirit, set by the word, and cleansed by the blood. 
Number three, shut the door. Did you ever grow up with a parent who's like, you got the air conditioning on, you got the heat on, and you leave the door open, shut the door, right? Yeah. Somebody, yeah, some, do you hear that kid? Yeah, he hears his parents say that, shut the door. Check your thermometer. Are you self-indulging? Set your thermostat to the word of God, shut the door, renew your mind. Romans 12, one and two. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me run this backwards. You cannot know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, if you do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the only way. Paul says, I urge you, I plead with you to consider your life and see what you find. So he's saying, hey, slow down for a second. Look at your life. Where have you been? Where are you? And where are you going? And what are you finding? But he takes it a step further. He says this, now do it all over again, but this time do it in view of God's mercy. In view of God withholding the punishment that you deserve. We are urged in view of God's mercy to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This language is from the Old Testament. When a person would come before the Lord in worship, they, they would often bring with them a bull or, or, or a sheep or a pigeon and that was sacrificed on the altar. Listen to where this takes us if we don't apply this. Adrian Rogers, sin will take you farther than you wanna go. keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Present your body, your eyes, your tongue, your hands, your feet to God for him to transform you for the use of his kingdom. In verse two, Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. In other words, do not, the idea there is do not fashion yourself like the world or do not change to become like the world. The evil one wants to use the influences of the world to control your mind. If he can control your mind, he can control you. Keep in mind that it is an unbelievers who set the pattern of this world. And so when we conform, to conform to one pattern, we must give up another pattern. We cannot conform to two patterns. We understand the next phrase, but be transformed as metamorphosis, which means to change from the inside out. The word transformed means to change radically in inner character to become like Christ. So our inner character is the catalyst for our outward life. What he is saying is this, the way you think will lead to the way that you live. When your mind is transformed, your behavior will also be transformed. 
See how the idea of presenting your body and the idea of transforming your mind are so closely connected, they go hand in hand. Think like the world, live like the world. Think like Christ, live like Christ. Where goes your mind, so goes your life. This is the front door. And this front door is open to either freedom or captivity. Truth or untruth. Purity or impurity. Light or darkness. God-focused, self-focused. Judgment or grace. Happiness or joy. Peace or anxiety. Self-control or out of control. Right here. You can take anything in this life the good, the bad, and the ugly, and trace it all back to the front door. A transformed mind is only by the work of God. It involves us taking every thought captive and living out the truth. A mind that is not transformed leads to confusion. It leads to untruth about yourself, lack of clarity in this life, the inability to tell right from wrong, indecisiveness, self-focus, loss of pleasure, fear, the list goes on and on and on. Rather, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Second Corinthians 10:5. we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That phrase, Every thought captive carries with it the idea that we would take a thought and we would handcuff it. If we're uncertain about this thought, we would handcuff it and we would march it before the judge. That's, that's the idea behind that phrase. March it before the judge and then we would ask the judge, which is Christ, of course, what do you think about this? That's what it means. So if we're gonna have minds that are transformed, we need to be willing to stop a thought before it consumes our mind, gets in the front door and handcuff it, march it before the judge, Jesus Christ, and ask the question, what do you think? Should I let it in or not? Should I entertain it? Should I ruminate over it? Stinking thinking happens when we leave the door open. If we leave the door open, it messes with the thermometer. Let me leave you with one thing. Use your conscience as a warning sign, not a GPS. If you want a GPS, lean on the Holy Spirit. Your conscience is just that little bell, that little alarm that God has given us. James 4, 13 through 15, Eugene Peterson writes it like this. And now I have a word for you who brashly announce, today at the latest, tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for a year. We're going to start a new business and make a lot of money. You do not know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing, describing our life. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we will do this or that. If the master wills it and we're still alive, 
we will do this or that. God, thank you for um, the way that you created us and that you created us with a conscience. And, and the purpose of that conscience is just that little check in our life, that little pause, that alarm that says, that makes us question if I do this or if I think this or if I go there, does it align with the ethic, the thermostat of the word of God? And God, I pray that um, all of us, no doubt, have had a conscience that's been corrupted and even seared maybe at times and we don't experience that anymore. We just, we just go from zero to 60 without a pause. But through the blood of Christ, we learned this morning that that can be cleansed. Holy Spirit, would you begin to renew, rebuild our conscience so that we can honor and glorify God. In Jesus' name, amen.